Hi there, this is Matt Wakeling, and you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, the show I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 105. By the way, given that it's April 2019, as I record this, this also marks three years since the show started. So thanks for tuning in, whether it's your first episode or your 105th or somewhere in between. I really appreciate it. Today, we're joined by a great friend of the show, Joe Robinson, an amazing Australian guitar player who, at the age of 18, which was about nine years ago, relocated to Nashville. And his career, uh, he was already a phenomenal player, but his career has really taken off since then. Joe uh, was on the show for episode number 45, and we did an in-depth interview then. I've asked Joe back because he's released his first full-length album in some time, an incredible album called Undertones. And Joe very graciously agreed to come back to talk about it in depth. So let's jump straight in. Joe Robinson, welcome back to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Oh, man. So good. We spoke, um, it was about two years ago when you came on the show and we spoke at depth about your entire career. So um, when your new record, Undertones, came out, um, I was really excited to hear some new stuff from you and um, loved the record. So I was uh, really stoked that you're you happy to come back and, and, and talk about this. Well, thanks, mate. Yeah, I can't believe it was two years ago. It feels like it was it was yesterday. And I remember we had a really nice, nice chat. And um, yeah, no, I've, I've had so much love from people on the, on the new music. It's just an amazing feeling. I underestimated the power of music. <laughs> You know, you put out put out a, a new collection of songs that you really, you know, feel like I poured my heart and soul into, and it's just an amazing feeling to, you know, have people like you reach out and just say that you enjoy it. And um, yeah, appreciate appreciate the conversation. Oh man, that's that's great. Can we do a um, can we do a quick catch up before we talk about undertones, the Definitely. record? Because um, the last the last year, so where where we left up. A couple of years ago, I think um, you're you're doing the guitar army thing. You were just about to come to Australia for a bunch of shows, which I got to see you uh, for the Sydney Guitar Festival. That was great. Yeah. That, was, that was that gig with Adam Miller and Michael Fix. That was such a cool show. Um, uh, what else has happened? I've seen you jamming with people like Eric Johnson and Steve Vai. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me about those those jams. Oh, I've had a you know it's been a really great. You know, the last year especially has been really amazing. Um, I have a really mm-hmm. exciting new course that's going to be coming out soon featuring a lot of my mentors. So a lot of last mm-hmm. year was spent traveling around interviewing, um, yeah, amazing musicians, but heroes of mine, you know, Steve Vai and Eric Johnson, as well as a handful of others. But, yeah, I remember... You know, the Sydney Guitar Festival was such a such a great night, and um, I did two shows in Sydney. Did the uh, yeah. what used to be the Vanguard, which was the show you were at, and then we we did a show That's with right, uh, yeah. with Paco Pena and the Gregorian Brothers, Slava and Leonard. So, yeah, man, that looked yeah. Amazing. You know, I love coming back to play in Australia. I I don't do it near enough. It's just um, you know I stay so busy busy over here and it's it's hard to carve out the time in advance to to go over there and tour australia properly but um i've been i've been really you know involved in a lot of cool projects the guitar army 
was was absolutely so much fun. I, I think when we spoke, it was um, Robin Ford and Leroy Parnell. That was like the Guitar Army Mark One, <laughs> and then um, the, right, the yeah. second uh, version of it featured John Jorgensen and Leroy Parnell. So, you know, we we do shows periodically, and we're kind of working on um, trying to figure out everyone's schedule so they get together and make an album um, because it's it's a really fun fun group, it's a fun collection of of uh, you know styles and influences and sounds that that you know we each bring and and uh, we have a show that's pretty pretty rocking and pretty fun so the guitar army project has been a lot of fun to be a part of i've been on the road with rodney crowell um who has been such a huge influence on me as a songwriter um you know we've we've probably played 100 shows in the last two years or so and um you know rodney's just such an amazing song craftsman and comes from the world of, you know, Guy Clark and uh, Towns Van Zandt and these just amazing songwriters with this, you know, from this kind of Texas folk Americana scene. And so uh, it's been really an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of Rodney's show. And uh, I opened for him as well as, play his whole show with him so I'm on stage for like three hours every night and I just sit there and listen to his lyrics and it's been just such a great great thing um so you know that's that's been a big part of what I've been doing and um, I've also been playing a lot of sessions in Nashville with you know different people working with some incredible musicians some of the best players you know in the world who are based here and I've been living in Nashville for nine years now so um you know yeah, more, wow. more and more people wow. are kind of know about me and call me for things so um yeah lots of really great great opportunities have have come come through i've been writing a lot of you know songs with really great people and learning a lot about that and um undertones you know i recorded it last year and released it last month so it's you know i've, I've had the album for for a minute and it's been a great feeling to finally share it with people and uh I'm really, really proud of the music, and I'm, you know, really excited about the next recording project that I'm kind of thinking about now. And um, lots of tour dates on the calendar. I have about 100 shows on the books for the rest of this year, so it's really, really a busy time. And I'm, Fantastic, I'm grateful yeah. to be, grateful to be yeah. busy. Excellent. That's so good. Well, I think, um, I mean, Undertones. Yeah, it's your first release. I see. I think since the Gemini EPs, which were from. Yeah. Uh, 2015, if I'm if I'm correct, yeah, and I guess it's your first full album since Let Me Introduce You, right. which was about uh, seven years ago or so. So, um, yeah, I mean, no wonder people are excited and uh, thrilled to hear some some new stuff. That's that's awesome, man. That's so good. Tell me about the um, the writing process, because I thought, how how are you finding time to write? Because you are so busy, you are on the road so much of your life. And... Well. Um, basically every day I'm not on the road is a, a day that, um, I can book a writing session <laughs> uh-huh. and I have, you know, I have a really good management team and, and I've told, I've told them I don't need any days off <laughs> every day. I want to work and I want to be productive. And if it's a Sunday, if it's a Saturday, um, you know, if, if I'm around, usually I'm out of town on the weekends, but mm-hmm. every day I'm on the road, I'm riding with somebody and writing for undertones was a, was a really great process. You know, I wrote about 80, 
80 or 90 songs wow. and, um, you know, mailed, mailed my, my management CDs and, and uh, we all kind of just brainstormed, you know, which songs were the strongest, which ones, you know, felt like they belonged as part of the album. And so we just kind of whittled it down to 12 songs from, from that list. And um, since that time, I have like, you know, another, you know, 70 or 80 songs. So it's, uh, right. it's a nice feeling to be, to be, you know, creating a lot. And I find uh, co-writing is, um, you know, I've learned to really love it. Uh, you know, there are so many great writers here in Nashville that are muscled up from writing songs every day. And I've kind of learned how to navigate those waters. I feel like I've learned how to navigate those waters in a way where I can have an inspired idea that has my kind of musical signature and I can sit down with somebody who may come from a totally different kind of world musically and we can have an idea and we can kind of talk about it and then for three to four hours we'll just focus. It's it's almost like a meditation. You just zoned in on what this song is, what elements does it need, how to kind of weave the narrative. And, uh, yeah, I've really come, come to love the process. So that's kind of how I wrote, you know, most of the songs okay. for, for our terms and how I continue to write today is I, I've, I've written a lot of stuff on, you know, on my own in the past, but I just find, you know, I can have 10 ideas and <laughs> if I write with somebody else, by the time we, you know, I leave the session, we're pretty much done with the song. <laughs> Whereas if, if I'm, if it's one I'm writing on my own, I just keep wanting to come back to it and change it and tweak it. And yeah, it's just yeah, a never ending yeah. thing. So, wow. so I like I like the collaborative experience for that reason. Awesome, man. It, I mean, it sounds like a, it's a huge amount of songs, but in a way I'm not surprised that you've whittled it down because the songs are, are so strong. That's probably the first thing I noticed. I mean, the guitar playing, it's a bonus, and the, the, the singing, which is great, by the way. Um, Thank you. Yeah, but you need the strong song first. Obviously, that's the old, the old golden rule, isn't it? So the writing is, um, yeah, fantastically strong. When, I, I, I appreciate it, yeah. Um, sorry, sorry to interject. I, I just no, wanted no. to say that you know, Nashville has um, you know, such a strong songwriting. You know, the Nashville cliche, is, course, is, yeah. it all starts with a song. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all based around a song, and, and really, I've, I've I've tried to embrace that part of living here. Yeah, um, sure. You know, there've been so many great writers who have been mentors and friends to me, and I think the younger version of me was kind of uh, resisted the influence of, you know, a lot of these writers, some of which have been writing songs, you know, professionally for 30, 30 40 years. Um, but I've really learned to, you know, have a great amount of respect for people um, who put so much thought and effort into the craft of, of writing. So that's kind of, I think, something I've learned. And, um, and you know, that's probably the reason it seems like my writing has matured a lot. Yeah, okay. Now, when you say writing sessions... Um and you end up with a, a huge pile of songs. Are these songs just for you, or are you also trying to get your stuff published by by other artists or, or publishing houses? Yeah, it depends. So, sometimes I'll write with you know other artists, and uh, I generally don't get called to write a song for another artist specifically. Um, you know, there's I feel like I don't really 
reason by analogy well. So mm-hmm. if I take a chord sequence, I, I have a real hard time thinking of it as being analogous to someone else <laughs> or, or another song. Even when I'm in the studio doing sessions and someone references like Tom Petty, I kind of have to think, oh man, what, what does that mean? <laughs> it's just it's not, not super, na- it's, it doesn't, it's not a natural thing for me to think in sure. terms of, um, you know, pitching to somebody else. Um, although I, I enjoy writing with other artists and trying to um, kind of channel their story and their energy. Uh, at the end of the day, if it's a great song, you know, it's it's great to have great songs. And who, and there's so many great songs floating around Nashville. And, um, yeah, I mean, once you once you write it and, uh, you know, maybe the co-writer's publisher has the song, they'll, they might pitch it to somebody else. And, and um, I have a lot of music floating out there. So if someone wants to record my songs, they're welcome to. But mm-hmm. really the focus is is uh for the most part getting um getting my story told in the right way and my my songs together sure sure Let, let's talk about some of the tracks from the album then um but let's choose one how about reputation because that was uh, one of the singles yeah. you, you pre-released as well man that's a great song you're playing over some some cool chord changes and the great long solo at the end joy and the pain But can't she open her heart when she's got so many chains so many chains She only Tell me about, about that tune. Thanks. Well, um, I wrote that song with my friend Jason Eskridge, and uh, Jason is kind of a pretty uh, big part of the Nashville R&B community here. You know, he's like a session singer. He sings background vocals for a lot of different people. He's done on t- tons of albums, and um, he was out singing with Johnny Lang for a long time. So he comes from the blues and R&B world. And, uh, you know, I, I had the chord sequence in the groove and I had the title as well, Reputation to Maintain. And, mm-hmm. and I kind of, you know, just it was the first song we wrote together, turned up at his studio and, and I kind of played the feel and he just automatically started singing all these great riffs. <laughs> you know, um, I love writing with great singers because yeah. it's like I, I get to flex my guitar playing, you know, and he gets to... Uh, come up with all these cool vocal riffs and so we just kind of i mean the thing is i've i've really found that the songs that end up being keepers usually are the, the ones i've written the quickest <laughs> yeah, yeah. um the ones that have just fallen together really naturally and you know we just sat sat down and um 
talked about the title and the idea of the song and um, kind of a few different ways we could have painted the picture. And um, yeah, I mean, it just, it just came together really, really kind of naturally and I wouldn't say easily, but you know, it just kind of was a fun little puzzle to decode. And Mm -hmm. we made a little demo at Jason's studio with a little drum, drum loop. And I played, a lot of the riffs that made the final version I just played on the demo. Uh-huh. And um, so that was kind of flagged as being a song that had a lot of excitement. And um, when when I was cutting the, the album, went in and, you know, I, most of the album we didn't record with a click track. Okay. The, mu- the musicians I, re- I recorded with and had play on, you know, I just had bass and drums. Uh, Pete Abbott played drums and Pete, you know, was an average white band and does yeah. a lot of sessions in Nashville. Yeah, and it's just amazing. a great, yeah. great feel and great musicality. It's a great, great sound. Mm-hmm. And Anton Nesbitt played bass and Anton's a big part of the R&B community in Nashville too. And we'd play together, you know, we toured together in Europe years ago. And, and I just imagined Pete and Anton would be this great unit. And I was so right because we got in there and we didn't need a click. We just, I just said, no, cut it without a click. I'm the producer on the album. And, um, you know, the song goes for five minutes or however long. And Pete's just locked into this groove. It's kind of like an Al Green style groove. Yeah, yeah. And I was playing all this, all this guitar over it. And uh, I did all the overdubs, the guitar parts back in my studio. Okay. Yeah. And what I would do is I would, um, I would set up, you know, a bunch of amps and take like a day to get the right guitar sound that I wanted mm-hmm. and experiment with different mics and different pre's and different compressors and moving stuff around. And, and once I got the sound, I would, you know, play it three or four times the whole song in its entirety. And then I would like go to the gym <laughs> and I'd lift some weights and, you know, have a workout and I'd come home and then I'd play it three or four more times. And then I'd like cook up some food and then I'd play it three or more, four more times. And then, the next morning I'd wake up and have a cup of coffee and I'd sit there and I'd listen um, to the tapes that I marked as being the best and the most inspired and I'd just pick pick one. And if there were a few little notes that weren't quite right, I would, um, you know, punch in or kind of tweak it. But for the most part, everything was played just in one take and that the ending solo to Reputation, that you know, was just me being inspired and going for an off-the-cuff solo and when I made the music video for it I had to learn all the parts I play which <laughs> took me days <laughs> but uh, but yeah I, I think I think that's that's the kind of challenge is trying to capture lightning in a bottle you want you want the music to feel inspired and fresh but at the same time uh, well crafted so to me there's that that kind of it's like an order and chaos <laughs> balance um, you know there's the the writing craft and the kind of song structure and the presentation in a way that is palatable, but at the same time it has to feel inspired and raw. And, and I always try and keep that in mind, and, and especially with reputation because it's kind of a the song has some excitement and energy to it, and I wanted to capture that. So yeah, that was awesome. how the, the process for that track went from writing all the way to recording. That's great, man. Um... Yeah, the rhythm section sounds fantastic on the on the whole record. I wonder um I wanna talk about the production aspect because as you said you, you self produced it. What what motivated you to do that rather than 
calling any number of producers, which I'm sure you, you know a bunch of. Yeah, well, I uh, I kind of just started thinking about how, how to record this album. And to be honest, I, I kind of was a little gun-shy about working with a producer because I like to be the one controlling the mouse in the studio. Uh-huh. I even like to engineer. And um, I just felt like, you know, I'd, I'd book a studio for, you know, a few days and, you know, hire some players that I really liked and take songs that I really liked. And I'd record it with my amp in a different room than the band. So mm-hmm. worst case scenario, I would have bass and drum tracks yeah. that sounded great and felt great with songs that I really liked. And so I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty low risk in that. And then it was like, well, how do I finish this? I think I can, I can do it at my studio in a way that I'm comfortable with. And the idea of going to another producer and kind of trusting them was just, it just felt like I wasn't as sure as that that was going to be a smart thing to do because the worst thing I wanted to do was, you know, pull up a producer and go in and, and then just start telling them what I, what I wanted and taking over myself and having mm-hmm. it be an awkward situation. Sure. Um, and I also didn't want to spend a bunch of money um, you know, with a producer or with someone mixing, risking that they wouldn't get it the way I wanted. Whereas I felt pretty confident that I could um, kind of realize my vision myself. And uh, throughout the process, I was I was prepared to call someone else in, you know, especially mixing. It kind of was a that was something I, I was de- deliberating, you know, thinking about for a while. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm really happy I did it all myself. I knew that if I could get this project to be the way I wanted from start to finish, that that would be a really great experience to have under my belt. And um, you know, since since I made the album, I, I, I get called for sessions all the time. <laughs> I did a yeah. session this morning, um, you know, for a great producer engineer, Brent Mayer. Um, Brent, you know, has recorded everyone from. Elvis, Dark, and Tina Turner. He wow. recorded Proud Mayor in wow. Blue Stad. Awesome. He has six Grammy Awards. And, you know, I mean, I'm really fortunate to live, live in a, a town where there's a lot of sessions, there's a lot of musicians, a lot of studios, a lot of engineers. Um, so I was prepared to kind of call other people in, but um, the, the kind of lowest risk situation seemed to be for me to try it myself. And, uh, and that just kept feeling like the the right way to do it. So awesome. that was the kind of methodology behind that. That's brilliant. Yeah, you, you had the vision and you pulled it off as well. So good for you. That's that's fantastic. I gotta um gotta say the production on on the record it's very unforced and um it feels very live. Even though you said you were you know, overdubbing guitars, but yeah. there's not a lot of overdubs. You you're fairly restrained on. Um, adding a lot of extra ear candy with guitars and vocals for that matter, um, other than some yeah. doubling here and there. So, um, yeah, kind of subtle and, and I don't know if restrained is the right word, but um, very earthy and, and you feel like you're in the, in the room with you guys. Exactly. I wanted it to feel organic. Um, I feel like 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of music who just that just feels like it's being forced down people's throats. <laughs> uh, you know, I there's no keyboards on the album. There's yeah, a few yeah. kind of sessions where I played a keyboardy kind of guitar part. And yeah. um, like on Reputation, for example, I was screaming for a B3 part, but I was like, oh man, if I if I record B3, and it's just going to turn into kind of generic sounding. Yeah, yeah. I just it just didn't feel right, although it was screaming for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, we didn't record with a click for the most part. Um, I recorded through everything through Burl converters, B U R R L. Uh-huh. I, I can say R ah, because you're Australian, but here I would say yeah, R. Yeah. R. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you know, Pro Tools can sound a little stiff and a little sterile, but I I made the decision to rent a Burl unit for tracking. And I have a little Burl, Burl interface at my studio, and um, the Burl unit sounds very much like analog tape, so it doesn't need as much processing to sound, you know, fat and warm. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of part of the natural sound of the album is the is that, you know, those recording converters, but. Yeah, my attitude was kind of like if it if it didn't need an extra part, don't put it on. And with with background vocals and that world too, I was like, you know what? I I tour mostly as a solo one man show, yeah. So I really wanted the songs to be, you know, kind of that, but realized, um, kind of the way I hear them. Uh, even when I'm playing solo, I kind of feel the groove and I hear the parts, even though I'm kind of just hinting to them with my solo kind of, um, you know, the techniques I have with a stomp box and getting the yeah, backbeat yeah. on the acoustic, the, those percussive things. So that was kind of, I, I really, I really, it was a conscious effort to not, not overdo it because let me introduce you with kind of the whole kit and caboodle, you know, it's a very slick produced album sure. and, um, and, you know, keyboards and percussion and all these different things. And I just wanted it to kind of be as simple as simple as possible this time. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I loved it. It really breathed. It had a lot of a lot of space. Interesting. With the, you mentioned Thank the you. no the no keyboards, I was um actually uh, used Millennium Man as a track um for one of my music classes. We, we were were studying with one wow. of the year twelve classes, um doing some oral analysis. So a shout out to those uh, musicologists. But um we were <laughs> <Be> debating. <cool. laughs> we were debating. There's a clean guitar with some trim, and and we're debating. Is that an electric yeah. piano? Or was that a guitar? And I think, um, I can't remember what we pinned down. I wasn't 100%, so I thought, I'd talk to Joe about <laughs> I, this. Yeah, I mean, I probably labeled the, the track in Pro Tools like Imitation Whirly. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Like a whirly piano style thing. Um, I, uh, I think I used a Shaw little kind of Princeton style amp called the Exit 209 that has a really great tremolo. Okay. Um, yep. And so... Yeah, I was searching for something that sonically just had a little, a little spark and a little magic, and I found that part, and 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 I got really excited because it just I gave the song a little personality at the same time as filling mm-hmm. in that that color. But you're yes. right, it it it's um kind of sound. It's meant to sound a little keyboardy, but it is a it is a guitar. Nice, well done. Hey, great. That's a great track. I, I love the guitar and the bass, doubling the Thanks. the riffs. Man, killer. I'm a 
They gave me free advice about my supplements. I've been followed and I've been liked. I'm surge protected if lightning strikes. I've been tweeted, retweeted. I'll be. Um, that's a. Uh... Ant- Anton Nesbitt play- playing bass, and I, I mean, he just killed that song. <laughs> yes. like, he he's a monstrous player, and uh, you know the songs. There's not a whole lot of like written out bass parts. The bass double on the guitar, it's mostly kind of groove orientated. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. song has a has the riff being doubled, and mm-hmm. and I mean Anton just just really plays that stuff so well. And uh, you know, you I think you're about to ask about the guitars I used. Um, yeah, yeah. On that song. I used the 63 or 64 SG. I don't even, I can't remember what, what year that guitar is from. It's Robin Ford um, gave me that guitar and it lived, lived here for a couple of years. And he called me recently and was like, hey man, can I get that guitar back? I think I want to use it again. I gave it to him, of course. But um, yeah, it was a, uh, it was an SG on, on Millennium Man. And I used that on, on quite a few songs on the album. Wow, that's not a guitar I usually um, associate with you because you, obviously you, know, you play the Strat and the the White Falcon quite a lot. But that's yeah. a, that's a cool tone. It's got, it's quite um, it's got quite a gnarly mid range. The 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 lead guitar on that track. Yeah, no, it, I haven't I haven't really played an SG much before. And you know, when I was out with the Guitar Army with with Robin and Leroy, um, you know, Leroy has this Les Paul tone that's like just jaw droppingly powerful and great mm-hmm. and robin has you know his dumbbell that he always uses and it's like the most beautiful huge sound you can imagine and you know i'm playing a strat or something and it just it was kind of like i was having trouble <laughs> being loud enough for <laughs> and and Rob, robin's like here have the, have this sg that i don't you know that has a good voice to it that guitar and uh and i you know i used it on the road with those guys and um yeah I, I feel like i'm still searching for like my electric guitar voice that's like the jr sound and, and um i put up a youtube video and i put it on facebook as well maybe you know three or four months ago or end of end of last that, year i yeah, guess yeah i was i was so interesting all the comments um and how many people engaged and kind of gave their feedback i had a running tally of you know, I did this kind of poll where I said, do you like this telly or this Strat or this, you know, Gretsch White Falcon Junior guitar that I play a lot or this Gretsch Archtop guitar? Um, you know, give me your two cents. And I, I had a po- I had a poll of, um, you know, people that voted for each instrument and it was almost dead even across really? the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the telly won, won, won out, um, you know, by a few votes, but, I mean, it was... I was shocked because it was like, oh man, <laughs> doesn't make the decision <laughs> any easier. But... <laughs> I saw that no, video. I found I, that I... really interesting because, yeah, you were saying um, you feel like you've got your acoustic guitar voice together, but electric, um, yeah, you, you're still kind of trying to pin it down or find what what it is. Yeah, I watched it. I read an interview with uh, Bob Marley. <laughs> this is when I was when I was a teenager. When I was, you know, back in Australia, devouring all the guitar magazines. Um, in fact, I bought like 10 year supply of guitar player magazine out of like an op shop yep. <laughs> and I just devoured every single article. And, uh, there was a Bob Marley 
article and he said, yeah, Bob just played the same Les Paul guitar, whatever the guitar was at yeah, Gibson yeah, yeah. for his whole career from like go to woe. And I always just thought, man, that's so cool to just have like one guitar that's your sound. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really would love to find that. But, you know, a lot of people made the comments on that video that, you know, don't restrict yourself to one sound. You know, it's more about the ideas and having the identity as a player. It's like Eric Johnson can sound like Eric on any guitar. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of more thinking in that direction. But I don't know. I'm 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 still, I think I'm getting ready to go on a serious guitar, electric guitar quest. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, Sounds fun. We'll see. Nice, man. I, yeah, I, I did see that video. I thought, I don't know. They all sound great. They all, they're all doing different things. And uh, you, right. you're sounding cool. The, um, the title track, Undertones, um, has a really cool octave solo. Um, and Snake Man's got an interesting octave thing. I've got some theories, but I'm not sure if I'm barking up the right uh-huh. tree. So I'll just put it out there and you tell me. So undertones, that sounds, is that two guitars doing the, uh, the octave solo? I think there's three. Okay. I guess there's one, there's one kind of playing the chords under, underneath. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, there's one playing a high part and then one playing a kind of middle, middle register part. Yeah. Right. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe there's three. I'll have to listen to it again. But what, what I did was I, um, that was a solo I kind of wrote and constructed and then I just, it just sounded like it was screaming out for some, some doubling. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I stacked a few things and, and the riff at the end where it goes, and it has that, you know, that exciting, uh, crescendo moment. I really liked the way that sounded stacked up like that. Amps are you using on that track? That's mostly the Gretsch. The okay. Gretsch, uh, yeah, the White Falcon Junior, which is the guitar. You know, it's in, it's in a lot of pictures, like my Facebook picture, I think. Okay. At the moment, the picture, picture on the album cover, actually, the Gretsch. Uh, and I use that a lot on the album as well as the SG and my Strat. My Strat mm-hmm. was on Reputation, you know, but but the uh, that Gretsch guitar has just a great voice. Especially for that that kind of song, because there's the song's called Undertone, and it has kind of these overtones, and there's just there's kind of some simmering. Um, it's just a kind of this simmering sound with all the different harmonics going on, and and that Gretsch guitar really just helped those uh, those ideas breathe. Yeah, cool, fantastic. Uh, Snake Man's a, a very different tune. That I love that tune, and let the guitar do the talking. You too. You had a couple of different shuffles going on. Um, really, really fun. That's there's like an octave up on the on 
the yeah. Snake Man solo. Now, is that is that a, uh-huh. a pedal, or are you you doubling that as well? Yeah, that. No, I'm. I I, I double tracked. Mm-hmm. You know, I put another higher part on or a lower part, I think. And I used a little pedal called the Keeley Cav- Cavins. Oh, okay. Uh, made by Robert Keeley. Yep, yep. And uh, man, that that pedal. <laughs> I did this so much. I always do this in the studio. You know, I'm just in there and I'm just plugging stuff in and trying stuff. And uh-huh. I just, I just record. I probably had the speakers on and I was just recording. And, and then I listened back and was like, oh man, that that has a really cool sound to it and a vibe to it. And then I tried to recreate it. And of course, I couldn't get anywhere near <laughs> to feel anywhere near as special. So I, so I think um, that you know, little electric guitar part with the trem and that kind of chorus. Echo, mm-hmm. that was uh, from like just you know like a one a.m. trying <laughs> something out, but it just worked. So that's where that came from. Yeah, I I didn't really use too much in in the way of um, you know pedals affecting the sound. I recorded everything you know dry, except for certain parts like the Millennium Man trem part. Yeah. And the Snake Man, you know, tremolo, um, you know, element, and then a lot of the effects were added during mixing. It's um, it's funny. Like you, we talk about how how organic the production is, and I'm just talking about pedals and the, the few little tasty uh, under under uh, undertone things going on. But yeah, hey, no, I, I I appreciate you listening to, to the music and diving in like that. And that's so cool. You you played it for your high school, you know, class. Oh yeah, man, I'll dig it. Um, yes. And I I I feel like that's that's I'm really happy with with the fact that those few moments kind of poked through as being special mm-hmm. and it hasn't been just over, overdone with, with effects. Although there's a lot of music that I like that's super not organic, you know, sure. um, from different people. But I feel, I feel like, um, you know, the nuances of the way I play, you know, I, I really wanted to capture that in the, in a natural yeah. kind of way. And I, I, I spent so much time in the studio in, in Nashville, playing for other people and and it's it's kind of a recurring theme where you'll be in the studio with musicians and you record this this track that feels great and then you'll hear it a year later when it's been finished and it just doesn't feel as as natural and as mm-hmm. as good as it did when you tracked so um i really wanted to kind of you know keep that naturalness yeah yeah man in, you can definitely in, hear the my, my you can definitely hear the fingers on the on the frets it's uh it's very live the um the final track i love this this is a uh, tamagog which is um oh a, yeah a spoken word piece and i know you had a couple of short spoken word sort of things on um on the gemini eps but this is a very special uh, piece very autobiographical about growing up in in tamagog on the the new south wales north coast yeah, I um, I was going through this phase kind of when I was writing for the album where I was waking up at 4 a.m. every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's my favorite thing to do on the planet. You've been doing that for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, but I can't do it all the time because, you know, I'm going on stage at 8 p.m. Yep. Um, and I just get too wiped out. I, I mean, I wake up at 6 or 7 these days, but waking up at 4 is just 
like there's something magic about it for me. And I was going through this um, kind of period where I was memorizing a lot of things. I really enjoy memorizing words and texts and, uh, you know, philosophical things and George Carlin skits and all, you know, all kinds <laughs> of things. And, um, and I decided to just kind of, I was doing these writing exercises where I'll just stream of consciousness, write three pages a day in the morning. And, um, I just wrote Temagog one day in one sitting, <laughs> the wow. whole thing wow. just came That's out. So and, th- and then I thought, maybe I'll just memorize that. <laughs> <laughs> so I memorized it and then I tried it on stage and, Temagog is between the cracks of red dirt earth and the glistening Pacific. Wedged at the foothills of the Armadale Tablelands, not every man has a table, hands, plans, or demands. A peaceful place, yet one of hardships. 91 I was born, raised on the Willy Willy Road, a 1.5 lane track at the time, dirt of course. We ate our eggs with yotes, collected our rain with tanks, Coca-Cola shoes and new clothes were luxuries of I knew nothing. And what a way to be. I honestly thought people would just get freaked out by it. It was just going to be too weird or something. But people absolutely went crazy over it. And um, I remember I played this, this song when I was first kind of testing it out in Santa Barbara. I was at this beautiful theater, the Libero Theater, and uh, I was opening for Rodney Crowell. Um, you know, we were at promoting his album, Close Ties. And uh, I played the song, and then my booking agent, you know, a couple of days later gets a call from a, a lady out there, and she wants me to play her husband's 75th birthday. And wow. he's, and my booking agent's like, okay, that's kind of, you know, like we don't get that kind of call every day. And, she, and he said, where where's the concert going to be held? And she's like, oh, it's at our house. You know, we live in the, at the Reagan ranch. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and right. so I, I went out, I went out and played in the Reagan ranch, which is this amazing property in Santa Barbara. No um, you know, it was built, built by president Reagan. They called it the West coast white house. And all <laughs> they wanted me to play was, was Temagog. That's really? what they, they wanted. <laughs> like they, they flew me out there just to play that song. So wow. the, that, um, was really an amazing thing to me. And it's yeah. a testament, I think, to the power of, um, you know, trying to be vulnerable in in writing because I, I would tell my story, I lay out kind of my go-to-woe. Um, you know, it's my, my journey in that song. And it's a very, very personal track. I had to put it last on the album because, it's you know, it's a spoken word piece, quite a different uh, sound, but... sure. Connected, connected with people in such an amazing way. I just had to include it on the album, yeah. and people kept asking me for it. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's a cool feeling. That's great. You um, you bring up a couple of things I want to ask you about. So, you talk about in 2016, um, kind of rediscovering your your 10 year old self. What what's that about? Well, uh, I feel like, well, you know, as a as a young, I feel like there's a period in a young man's life between like 20 and 24 where it's just kind of a period of searching. You're really trying to find yourself. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like 10, 11, 12, 13, just being so confident 
musically, um, I knew exactly what I liked and what I didn't like. I was just, I feel like that's where I developed most of my passion and desire to be a musician. Mm-hmm. And I'm still running off those fumes. Yep, yep. And so I, I feel like I got to a point where um, I, I just wasn't really staying true to that 10-year-old me, the person who fell in love with playing the guitar. It was like, for some unknown set of reasons, I kind of just became disconnected for that. Maybe it was just I was overthinking it, and I was seeking to seeking for the um, approval of my peers or something. But anyway, I just basically, I stopped drinking alcohol, and like, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I, um, you know, I, I have this app called Toggle, in which I like log um, the time. I it's like time tracker app, and you know, I spend <laughs> 13, 14, 15, 16 hours a day doing like music-related productive things, and um, mm-hmm. part of me kind of rediscovering that focus and that passion and that immersive. Um, lifestyle was waking up at 4 a.m., you know, in 2016, 2015, kind of after the EPs, to be honest, and um, okay. and starting to really just fall back in love with, with making music because and I also fell in love with reading. I started reading obsessively and, um, yeah, started hanging out with, musicians who were more mentor figures than peers. So mm-hmm. it was just a combination of all of these things that really helped me feel like I've just rediscovered myself and um, I've never, I haven't looked back at all. Awesome. Good for you, man. That's, that's great. You, you talk about the striving and thriving yeah. in the US and being drawn to that. And for someone, um, I guess, as, as driven as you are and, incredibly self-disciplined as you you know you've just mentioned um yeah that was interesting too finding that that nashville was a place where you could just go all out and uh and work so hard on your career and have so many opportunities to do that i thought that was a uh, an apt yeah uh turn of phrase there yeah you know I'm, I'm so proud to be from australia and uh whenever i go home i i just really appreciate where i come from on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you know, I'm from Temagog. I'm not from Sydney or Melbourne. <laughs> you know, I've never lived in an Australian city before. Um, but when, when I go home to Australia, I feel like Australia has this view of America that's very sensationalized, media-driven. But my experience here has been people are so positive, so hardworking, so encouraging of one another. Um, you know, Australia has the tall poppy syndrome. That's kind of something that, you know, a lot of people recognize as being an issue in the culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. That being, um, you know, someone that, that has success in some way, people want to cut them down like a tall poppy, get rid of the tall poppies, yep. stay yep. in your place. However, I feel like in America, there's a thriving, this kind of attitude that really 
encourages and respects success. And um, I really have made so many great friends here. I mean, I live in Nashville. It's just it's one of the most amazing music cities and communities of musicians in the world. And I really believe so much in proximity about being around people who can inspire you. And you can find those people anywhere. And, uh, you know, there's great music scene in, in, in Melbourne and, and, you know, Sydney, I, I was really sad that the basement closed in Sydney. Yeah, um, oh, definitely. There, there, there is talks of it opening up again, um, with different, ownership really? and things but i know what you mean such a, an iconic room um not really having a place anymore yeah it's uh yeah um so and anyway i i really feel feel like i was i was so fortunate to have the opportunity to and, and have the courage and guts to to move to america because i just moved over here alone you know i mean all my family's back in australia yeah, and, yeah. and I, I miss them a lot and i miss you know australia a lot but I feel so inspired and stimulated here. And, um, you know, I, uh, I've got more work coming in than I know what to do with. So it's really, I feel so blessed Fantastic. and, um, and so inspired to, to, you know, help others understand how I did what I, what I did, you know, yeah, how, how yeah. I've be, be, been able to, to have the opportunities I've had. And um, part of this new course that I'll, I'll be announcing really soon kind of is really a celebration and a um, deep dive into into that and how my mentors and being in Nashville has shaped my my music and life. You're doing a Tommy Emanuel camp in, in a couple of months. That's must be great yeah. to reconnect with him after the, uh, the long relationship you guys have had. Yeah, you know, Tommy is just a constant source of, inspiration and um you know he's just an amazing amazing force in in the guitar community you know as you know in my high school music room there was a life-size cutout of him on on the wall <laughs> so um he's really been a big part of my you know musical journey from before i even knew him and uh i've i've done two camps with him previously and there's just it's just an amazing experience to hang out with him and to be around him. And the camps usually have about a hundred people or so. And Tommy, you know, jams with everybody and, they, and you know, hears them play individually. And, uh, you know, everyone has breakfast together at 8am and then there's jamming and workshops going on until 10pm. And Tommy's just hanging out that whole time. And it's just, he has an infectious energy and uh, he just wants so badly to, to share his joy and love for for music with with everybody there and it's just an amazing thing to be a part of so I, i'm always grateful to be able to spend time around around tommy and he's been such a great mentor and friend to me you know i i spoke at uh, a college here in nashville belmont university um last week mm-hmm. and uh you know i was speaking with the musical students and i said i, I kind of wanted to give them a bit of heartfelt, not advice, but I wanted to share something that's meant so much to me is, you know, there's so many people in the music world and in the world in general who are bitter and negative and just have a bad energy, a bad taste in their mouth for 
you know, a myriad of reasons. And I just feel so grateful that I was able to find someone like Tommy to, to emulate musically, as well as, you know, just someone with a great career, great work ethic. And, um, you know, it's just, I think it's so important to, to find mentors that really, really great. Because if you, if you copy the wrong people, it can, uh, it can really be a problem. I think. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess, I mean, evidently you're, for other people, you're going to be a, you're going to be a similar role model and you're already doing that in some of this stuff you're doing too. So that's, that's a cool way to pay it forward. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, music has, has brought so much joy to my life and I just, I was always afraid of burning out and getting sick of it. You know, I, I read an interview with somebody mm. who I respected a lot when I was younger and uh, and they just had said that they just felt burnt out, and I just became terrified that that would happen to me. Um, <laughs> sure, but yeah. but I reached a point, and I think it was kind of 2016 thereabouts when I started to just basically not care what anybody thought, and if people thought I was crazy for waking up at you know 4 a.m. and practicing all day, and you know leading a pretty mm-hmm. not a super social life. You know, I, like I don't hang out with friends and do a lot of that normal stuff. I don't watch TV. I just, yeah, I love to read old books and create a lot of music and, you know, hang out with people who inspire me and, uh, and I can learn from. And I just feel like I want to, I want to share that message and passion for music with, with anybody who, who wants to hear it. Awesome, man. Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, yeah, again, really, really thrilled that it's, um, it's running so great for you, man. That's, that's fantastic. And testament to your hard work and your passion and your innate ability, which you've, you've done a good job of fostering and, and, uh, and honoring that ability, not just sitting on it. So, man, so great to catch up. Um, that, that first podcast we did yeah, a couple of years ago was um, definitely one of, one of my favorites. And one of the um, one of the more popular Thank ones you. too. Yeah, there was a lot of people downloaded that, and um, so yeah, it's really cool to to reconnect and and uh, get the, the latest. So, man, Joe, thank you so much. It's been uh, it's been great. Hey, well, thanks, man. I, I I tune into the podcast and enjoy hearing hearing it. Um, I remember I listened to the interview you did with Troy Cassidale and really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, oh, cool. And uh, I'll have to listen back to our first interview because. I remember it being really, you know, a really nice conversation and appreciate you and, uh, and, you know, good, good on you for, um, mining all the, all the great guitar players you do for, for information. And, uh, it's, uh, it's always illuminating and inspiring to get a window into how someone's, how someone thinks. And I think you do a really good job of extracting that. So thank, thank you. All right, there you go, my conversation with Joe Robinson. I really appreciate Joe's kind words at the end and I really appreciate him coming back on the show. He's such a, a humble and hardworking and talented musician and if you put those three characteristics together, it's no wonder that he's doing so well and I'm really proud to have him as a friend of the show. Please head on over to joerobinson.com and check out that album under undertones it is fantastic 
All right, before I go, let me tell you of some stuff coming up. I'm really excited. Uh, a couple of days ago, I recorded an interview with Tal Wilkenfeld, another incredible Australian musician who's called the United States home for some time, of course. Bass player for Jeff Beck, um, Prince, Mick Jagger, the Almond Brothers. She's sat in or performed with some amazing people. It's just an incredible uh, bio that she she has. Uh, Tal's released a fantastic solo album. We get to talk about that. Love that. Also spoke to Tim Rollinson, a Sydney-based jazz guitarist. Man, I've loved his playing for years, and I was thrilled to have him on the show. He was a member of the band Dig, Directions in Groove, who were uh, pioneers of the acid jazz movement in the 90s. And since Dig has, has finished up, um, Tim's released a bunch of solo albums which are which are brilliant. We talk about those. We had a really wonderful conversation. Um, Gavin Gavin Moore from Coat Guitars. We do a NAM roundup. Some of the gear from NAM is finally making its way to Australia. So we had an excellent conversation about that. That episode's coming up. And next week, got a couple of cool things booked. Um, Jeremy Barnes, known as a ferocious shredder in Australia, but he's much more than a than a, a mind-boggling shredder. It's such a versatile musician. Uh, plays a lot of different genres incredibly well. He's coming on the show. Can't wait for that. And I speak to Rick Kelly, a New York-based luthier whose guitars are played um, by people like Bob Dylan, Charlie Sexton, Kirk Douglas from The Roots. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation as well. As you can hear, the music stopped. So it's the end of the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Head on over to guitarspeakpodcast.com and you can find out how to subscribe or uh, follow our social media or all that stuff as well. All right. I love that you're listening. I appreciate it. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.